evening I'm going to put right a terrible wrong uh, in my ministry of 23 years, which is I've never preached from John 3.16, uh, which is a shame and a disgrace, uh, I'm free to admit, uh, but possibly because it's such a precious verse, uh, I've been scared to tangle with it. But John 3.16 is a core verse uh, in our understanding, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son and His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And I'm using that, ser- that uh, text this evening as the beginning of a new series of sermons. I'm sorry uh, to people from uh, Christchurch, our new wrestling, uh, because I'm starting something that you'll not get to, to hear the rest of. But that might not be a bad thing. You'll better preach in where you're going anyway. But um, this is uh, linked in with uh, identity, our youth fellowship, our young people's meeting after this, uh, so that we're doing a theme uh, called A Better Vision which is really just looking again at the basics of the gospel uh, to encourage us, to remind us that the gospel is the basis for everything we are in our lives. And for the young people to think through that, there's one or two questions they've been given, they split into groups, and we'll do that uh, up at the house afterwards. So all the young people, uh, can I just say that now, you're very welcome to come along, uh, and that's at our house at Wander Park Road uh, after tea and coffee here uh, this evening. So... um, Again, it's a bit like what I was saying this morning about city groups, which looks at questions from the morning service. It's trying to create that link between hearing the word and applying the word with the questions that we use and discussing the word and thinking through it in our lives. And that is very important, I think, for us to do. And it's really to, tonight to focus on uh, the next few weeks. We're going to look God the Father tonight, God the Son next week, God the Holy Spirit the week after, uh, and their role in salvation. And in so doing, hope to encourage us to think uh, more clearly uh, a little bit about the gospel again and see how great the gospel is, how good it is for us. I'm beginning to say this quite a lot of times, but I think it's a good phrase. It's not that we make the gospel too good. It's that we don't make it good enough. The problem with drifting away is because we don't make the gospel good enough. And that is what our hope and prayer is through the Holy Spirit, is that we will make the gospel good enough to follow, to come to faith in Jesus Christ, to follow Him and to serve Him uh, as young people and as not-so-young people and as old people in our lives. And the context of Jesus saying what He says here is uh, in the context of speaking to Nicodemus and challenging Nicodemus with what the gospel is. And he uses a great picture, doesn't he? He says, you must be born again. That's, again, a well-known phrase to us. Or born anew. You must make a fresh start, is basically what he's saying. And that's a great picture that Jesus gives us. It's reminding us how huge the gospel is and how huge it is to be a Christian. He says it's like starting all over again from being a baby. He uses that picture. Now, I'm going to be half a century old on the 9th of January, okay? Now, can you imagine me having to go all the way back and start all over again as a baby, having to learn to burp properly and and eat properly and then drink properly and then walk and talk and live in a family and take responsibility and go to school and learn math? Well, I didn't learn that first time around. But um, learn to speak and learn all these things and learn in adolescence, learn about love and learn about broken hearts and uh, then learn about all the different relationships and all the different things that happen. And 
what, that's a lifelong task, isn't it? It's a big task for us. Don't let them escape. You've got to stay at the end. Okay? And yet, really, that's what God, Jesus is saying about being a Christian is we're, we're needing to learn all over again how to live with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Actually, it's harder because we're also unlearning stuff in our lives. You know what it's like if you learn to do something wrong? It's really hard to learn to do it right. If you learn to drive the wrong way, it's hard to do it right the way that would please a, an examiner if you're passing the test. Now, Christianity is not like that. But you know what I mean in terms of it being difficult to unlearn what we've already learned if it's wrong. And as Christians, in many ways, that's what we're also doing as well. We're learning to follow Jesus and serve Jesus and love Jesus Christ, but we're also having to unlearn a lot of the selfishness and the pride and the ignorance and the arrogance and the self-centeredness and the self-righteousness that goes along with our beings. So the foundation of a radical, joyful service to God is understanding the gospel understanding the greatness of how great the gospel is, how great it is. The problem is we don't make it good enough. So we've got this classic verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So God so loved, I'm just going to break it down very simply in the way that it's broken down here. God so loved the world. It's a classic statement about God. I wonder if we're giving a, a first statement about God to anyone, maybe people who know we're Christians, and who ask us about God, what do we say? Or what do we think? Or what do we think they think? Probably that he's a tyrant. Hopefully we wouldn't say that. Probably we'd say that he's the creator. We might even say that he's the judge. But I wonder if we would always take this view of God, that God is a God who loves, and God so loved the world. It's a, a wonderful statement that's at the very core of our understanding of God. It's a big love. God so loved the world. It was a, a really big love. And it's the world that's been spoken about here, not just believers, okay? God so loved this world in which we live, your colleagues, your friends, your neighbors, people in this part of the world, people in different parts of the world. He has concern and pity and compassion on all of humanity. His reign and His sun shines on all of humanity. He gives life and He gives blessing to people that stick their fingers directly up at Him. A world that ignores Him, a world that has no time for Him, a world that rejects Him. Jesus Christ reminds us here that God has a great love for this world. And our biggest problem in applying sometimes that in our Christian lives is our biggest battle is selfishness is insularity, is not loving, not even loving our fellow Christians, but, or not even loving the world, but not even loving our fellow Christians, is judging others, is not being caring, is not being compassionate. But if we're to imitate God, and if young people are to imitate God, and if old people are to imitate God's love, they are to love the world in which they live. We are to love the world in which we live. Jesus says that the, the the second table of the law of the commandments is about loving our neighbor. Who's our neighbor? Jesus explained it. Who's our neighbor? It's not a Samaritan. We don't know any Samaritans. But it's that person that is generally 
rejected by us. It is the person next door. It is the people we come into contact with, clearly. But it's also the people that gen- generally we reject. Generally we have no time for. Generally that are uh, those that we have no time for in this world. We love people. We, we reflect God when we love people indiscriminately. Okay? Indiscriminately. Not naively, not stupidly, not glibly, but indiscriminately when we love people. Now, we can't change the world, but we can change it one person at a time, and we are only asked to love in the same way that God loves. God loved, so loved the world. And it's a sacrificial love, isn't it? It's a, a love which he goes on to say is a love which, uh, where he gave his one and only son, his only begotten son. And therefore, that is an explanatory statement about his love. He loves. How does he love? He loves by giving his one and only son. That is a description of how much he loves. So that love and sacrifice are at the very heart of God's character. Love and sacrifice. It's a love which gives. He gives his son. Now, I'm going to give you a a spiritual formula It's kind of like, not a mathematical one, but a spiritual one. The depth of someone's love is measured by the value of the gift that they give in in relation to the resources they have. Okay? Big long sentence. Sorry. But take it, break it down. The depth of someone's love is measured by the value of the gift they give in relation to the resources they possess. So, for example, if a billionaire was to give me a Ferrari, it might not say much about his love for me. Okay? Because he's got resources to buy a hundred Ferraris or a thousand Ferraris. It might say something about his generosity, but maybe not say anything particular about his love, if you see what I mean. But if, if the widow, who only has five pounds, gives me everything of that, then that says a lot about her love, doesn't it? That's what the Bible speaks about, about the widow's might, for example. The widow, widow giving all she had. She gave out of her poverty. Whereas all the rich people that went to church, they threw in lots of money. They were giving out of their wealth. It's different. So the, the depth of love can be measured by the value of the gift in relation to the resources we possess. To so what did God give? Angels? That would have been a lot. The universe? That would have been amazing. But no, he gives himself in the mystery of the Trinity. He gives his son. He gives Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, a distinct person, but also of the essence of God and all the mystery that that has with it. So he gives of himself for us. An astonishingly committed gift. So he doesn't speak in word only but gives the infinite cost of the divine creator tasting death on our behalf. Verse 14, it says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Speaking of the cross. Jesus Christ is lifted up onto the cross. He dies on the cross. And so the author of life tastes in the most horrendous way, tastes 
uh, death, as we said this morning, kind of walks into hell uh, on our behalf, crushing death and sin and the way. So he gives himself in that, that great way. It's a sacrificial love. So as Christians, the question is about our life and about our commitment to him. Do we, do we doubt his love to us when things are bad, when things are difficult? Do we doubt his love and interest in us? Do we doubt his commitment to us? Unless we grasp the depth and the cost of his love, it will be difficult for us to serve him and follow him wholeheartedly. Now, young folk, you're at this stage in life when you're passionate and love moves you. I'm sure love really moves you in your life and you do crazy things for love because that's what you do when you're young. And unless you see Jesus Christ in that, with that great value, then you will not give your heart and life to him. See your identity and see your purpose and see your value in Jesus Christ, that he has redeemed us from the heart out, forgiven and accepted at the very heart of God, that you're at the very heart of God in your life. I think so many of us uh, are affected in our lives by the kind of relationships we had with our parents. Sometimes that's affected us really positively. Sometimes it's affected us negatively. But so often the dysfunction of a person's life is related to the kind of upbringing that they had and the relationship that they had with their parents. And here is God saying that God the Father loves you so much that he gives his son. And it's, it's giving you this great foundation, knowing that you're loved. That we are, what our, as kids, what we need to know most as kids is that we are loved and that we belong and that we are always loved by our parents. And that's no different from God in Jesus Christ. It is where we will reflect uh, a life of service and gratitude. And as you give in service to the Lord Jesus Christ, you will and we receive a thousand times uh, more in return. It's a sacrificial love. And then briefly, we also see it's life-giving love. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Whoever believes in him. So I just want to say just a brief thing about that great invitation. Now, God so loved the world that whoever believes, okay, I'm sure a lot of you have taken out insurance policies at different times. And insurance policies are a pain in the neck because you take out these insurance policies, you pay premiums for them every every month or whatever, and then when you need it, and you go to claim it or whatever it is you need to get back, you find out there's a get-out clause. You find out that uh, there's uh, some kind of conditional clause that means you can't get it. There's no way you can get that because you're a free church minister. So that there's things in these insurance policies that usually give a get-out clause that can be really frustrating and really difficult. But the, the offer of the gospel doesn't have a get-out clause, and it isn't for a specific group of people. Nobody doesn't need to be rescued by the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody is out with His love, and nobody has the ability to save themselves. So Jesus 
says that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes, wherever they are, whatever type of person they are, and that is the offer of the gospel that, again, will stimulate us to live the gospel in our day-to-day living. For so often, we're selective about the gospel. And we decide who might believe. We decide who might be saved. We think who would make good Christians. And we make the judgment about who we will share faith with sometimes in our lives because we don't necessarily accept that whoever of the gospel, that it goes out to this world. Now, I have a great belief that God has got a great work to do in this city and that there are many people in this city who are the Lord's who need to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I believe your work um, in Christ Church, and I believe our work here, and I believe all the gospel center churches that are focused on sharing that whoever at Brunsfield, that Tom, if he goes out to the other side of the bypass in Midlothian, wherever we go, that there will be many people who will come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I think our attitude, and I think we need an attitude where we are all, including our young people, passionate about sharing the gospel in a sensitive, a gentle, um, in a winsome way with whoever, with whoever we come into contact with, when the opportunity arises that we have good news for this world. We have good news about Jesus Christ, and it is worth sharing, and we don't make the judgments about who will or will not receive that message, or will will come or will not come to faith in Him. It's a great offer. And it's an offer of not perishing, but having eternal life. In other words, this gospel ministry, this gospel work, this gospel life, is not about minor adjustments to what we do, fine-tuning or tweaking little bits of our lives. It is dealing with eternal weighty matters of our soul. Now, I know sometimes that's difficult for young people to grasp because you've got so long a life ahead of you, in your own minds and hearts anyway. And indeed, eternity is difficult for us all to think about in many ways. But that's what Jesus is dealing with, with weighty matters, with matters of our relationship with God and our need not to be perishing, but to be gifted eternal life. The condition that we find ourselves in without Christ is that we are perishing. Now, for me, that's very much a word that describes what it's like when things that would have life ordinarily are, are shut off in a dark place. You know, say a plant or, or something like that is put in a dark place, or a place where there's no warmth and light for it to live. Uh, eventually, if the sun or if the heat is taken from it, it will perish. That, that's how I certainly understand that word and, and what, it, what it means. Life goes from it. It dies. And spiritually speaking, we're in a place where spiritually without Christ we're dead, where physically without Christ we're dying, even though we may uh, not feel that way. But that Christ is, as he goes on to say in this chapter, he's the light of the world. And that light brings life. 
and warmth and changes our hard heart and softens it to love him and serve him as our God, as our commander-in-chief, as our savior, uh, as our father, as our friend. And that is the eternal life he offers. He offers relationship with him, filling with the Holy Spirit, and therefore that link which is, because he's eternal, we're going to be given eternal life and fellowship and friendship with him. It kind of changes our perspective about what is significant and what is important. But we're also reminded of the irrationality of sin because Jesus says in this passage, he says, you know, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. That is Jesus. But men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear his deeds will be exposed. We were talking about that this morning about the Word of God exposing us. And that's the irrationality of sin sometimes for us is that we reject the light of Jesus Christ because it exposes and is painful in exposing our sin and our selfishness. And we don't like that. You know, sometimes when we come out into the light, if we're in darkness, we recoil from it because it's so bright. And sometimes we recoil from the brightness and light of Jesus because he exposes what we are. But that pain is only half the story, isn't it? Because that's the bad. It's not even half, it's whatever. The good bit is eternal life and the good bit is his great love for us. So the encouragement for us is to recognize the Father's love. I think sometimes, somehow, theologically, people have kind of thought that God the Father throws God the Son out of heaven and says, you go and save them. I'm staying here. Or he's the kind of, he's, he's the, the bad judge, as it were. And Jesus is the good, the good guy who comes in between and creates the bridge. But it's God the Father who so loves the world that he gives his Son, who comes voluntarily and on his death, the Father is torn apart also because he is intimately involved. It is him. It's that boxing image where he, is the, he takes the punch himself on our behalf. He takes the blow of our sin and of our guilt and he takes it on himself on the cross. So for each of us, it's a good thing to do to take that verse which is so famous and put our own name in it. For God so loved Derek. That he gave his one and only son that if Derek believes in him, he will have eternal life. So put your own name in that. Because that's the scripture message. If we will accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And Jim Elliot, that famous missionary, with that famous quote says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And I hope that's true for all of us. And that the motivation for our lives can be this great fatherly love and this great gift of eternal life, which begins to make the gospel better. Let's bow our heads and and pray together. Father God, we ask and pray that we would not leave you as some kind of distant watchmaker who winds up the world and and lets it uh, unwind in its own destructive way without caring, but that we would recognize that you are a God intimately involved in our lives through the your knowledge through your insight into our thoughts and uh, our uh, attitudes, through uh, your giving of your Son and through that great sacrifice on our behalf. And we thank you that that 
has been born out of love, and the cost uh, of the gift is such an illustration of the depth of your love. And may we not doubt that love, even particularly when things are going badly for us, when we're struggling, when you seem to be distant and far away and disinterested, when trouble strikes, when there's division and heartache and pain and illness and sometimes even death. Lord God, help us to trust in your unfailing love. And may it be a life changer for us. And may it move us to uh, serve you and to give you all of what we are and uh, all of what we can be. And in so doing, may we be blessed and uh, may we know the glory of God. I thank you for this great time together. We thank you for the uh, friendship and fellowship of our brothers and sisters. Um, and we pray and ask that you would bless uh, our informal time together as well and the uh, tea and coffee and stuff that we share. And we rejoice that we can do that this evening. So continue with us as we sing together. May we sing not to one another, although that is also encouraging. Uh, but may we sing uh, praise uh, to our Father who is worthy of all uh, our worship and praise this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.